Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What is going on, friends of the Rocky cast? For this episode, we're going to cover part two of the New England Journal of Medicine journal article called Calorie Restriction with or without time-restricted eating in weight loss. It's one of the most significant studies that's been done on the efficacy of intermittent fasting probably in the last 35 years, maybe even ever. And there's been a lot of misreporting out on it. And we're going to do some follow-up because this is an important topic. So this, we're going to identify, for this episode, we're going to identify, I think, some of what I think are the major problems with this study. Number two, some of the issues related to interpretations of this study that I think are just off. And yes, unfortunately, we're going to have to get into the, the larger question of an omission that was not admitted in even any of the reporting or the study itself, which is this whole topic of statistical significance. Um, we're going to have to get into this because this is an important issue. And, you know, statistics, you know, between statistics and accountants, I mean, you guys aren't exactly the most sort of earth shattering people. I mean, you are, you probably are. You're probably like Jean Valjean, you know, singing musicals and hanging out at the bar and smoking a cigarette in the evening. But, you know, generally as a field, statistics is kind of mind numbingly boring. And so was accounting. And so, you know, I hate to be hard on you as a field, but it kind of is you know, a boring topic, but it's an important topic because I think the New England Journal of Medicine, unfortunately, by publishing this study, I think they've done a lot of damage out there, especially because it, I don't think it really has the proper caveats. And unfortunately, the New York Times did a horrible job in its reporting on this study, as well as one of the leading researchers, Dr. Ethan Weiss, who's a doctor of nutrition, University of San Francisco, a super smart guy. I think it's made some elementary mistakes. Yeah, doc, you screwed up. And I think you've done a lot of damage uh, because of how you, your, your comments on this. I think you got it wrong. So we're going to get into um, part two of this. I think this is a very important topic because intermittent fasting is one of the most powerful ways to lose weight. Yes, I am a true believer. Um, I'm relying on anecdote. I lost 70 pounds effortlessly, got off of uh, my high blood pressure medication and reverse type 2 diabetes with intermittent fasting. I did it easily. People that I've referred and have started just based upon my own story, they've also shared very similar results. Now, of course, many of you are saying, yeah, but those are just, those are just anecdotes. Those have no importance whatsoever because they're not capital S science. And those of us who have studied science and went to Harvard are able to give more accurate results than what we have here. And just, just anecdotes, which is basically bullshit. Well, I'm here to say that they're not bullshit. They're very powerful. And I think that intermittent fasting remains a powerful way to, to lose weight and that you shouldn't let this study or, or conversations with your doctor referring to this study, you should not let 
that discourage you from starting intermittent fasting. So let's talk a little bit about one critique I have of the, it's just some questions I have about this study. This is part two, but it's important that we get it right. I think we'll need to have further discussions because this has the potential to do an enormous amount of damage where people are gonna follow the conventional wisdom and they're gonna get it wrong. And they're gonna forgo this life-changing powerful option called intermittent fasting where they can lose weight, get ripped, get off their meds. Yeah, it's, it's that good and it's that powerful. And this study, I think, does a lot of damage under the rubric of science. So first, let's recap the study itself. Um, in case you didn't listen to my other episode on this, very briefly, there were essentially two, time, two groups, one who engaged in time-restricted eating from 8 o'clock in the morning to 4 o'clock. The other group could eat from morning lunch and dinner with appropriate snacks in between. Importantly, both groups had the same amount of calories because the proponents of intermittent fasting have said that it will actually increase your ability to burn fat um, as opposed to the same amount of calories. So even if you eat the same amount of calories, uh, you can still lose weight, which, which sort of flies in the way, face of conventional wisdom. Now, here the first, I think, giant red flag that I see with this study is that I have legitimate questions. And here I'm just raising questions, scientists. I'm a lawyer. I'm just asking questions. And I think people should look into this further as to whether the participants accurately reported the amount that they were eating. I mean, first off, the study talked about putting the men on a calorie restriction diet between 1,500 and 1800 calories. Now, 1500 calories per day, if done over the course of a year, that's a semi-starvation diet. Um, Ansel Keys, the famous uh, theoretician of hunger, did a, did a famous study in the, in the 40s on the question of calorie restriction on the impact of health. And he put these guys on a 1500 calorie a day diet. These guys like nearly died. They got super sick. And this was what they put these people in on China, a 1,500 a day diet for the men and for women, 12 to 1,500 a day. So I have questions as to whether that was what they complied. Now, supposedly they did. The study indicates that they um, kept a food log and they took pictures of all their food. But I have strong doubts. And especially if you're, if you're calorie restricting to that degree that you would lose the amount of weight that you did. So here's the important things, and this is gonna require us to get into statistical significance, is that the groups both lost weight. That is the group that did the time-restricted eating and the group that did the, just only the calorie restriction. Now here's the important thing, is that the group that did time-restricted eating lost more than the group that lost or that did only uh, calorie restriction. To the tune of over the course of a year, 1.8 kilos or about four pounds of body weight. And over the course of a year, they lost about 1.4 kilos or three pounds of fat. Now that was not considered statistically significant. And this is gonna require us to get this rabbit hole of statistical significance because I think the New York Times when they did the reporting on this, 
omitted any controversy associated with statistical significance and, and more in particular the p-value. And one of the key research just flat out misspoke uh, about the, the impact of the study and what it showed and what it didn't show. And he went from the University of California. I don't, I don't know what the hell um, he, he was, I, whether he had a bad day or what, but he just out and out misspoke. That's Dr. Ethan Weiss. So the first critique I have of the study itself is that it talks about a three pound difference in fat loss between the two groups over the course of 12 months. So assume another group actually replicates that finding, you know, because that's one of the key aspects of scientific evidence that you can actually replicate the finding. And then another group, similar circumstances also loses three pounds. And so it gives you some degree of confidence that, hey, three pounds or three pounds of fat over the course of a year, just solely based upon when you eat, that's pretty powerful. And what if you do a longitudinal study of these people over the course of five years? Well, five years out, you're gonna have a difference. So they lose on average three pounds more than the control group. You're gonna lose three pounds of, that's 15 pounds of fat. That's a lot. Now I have no idea in terms of what the, the size of these people were, but 15 pounds of fat over the course of five years, that's significant, assuming that holds true. Body weight, uh, approximately four pounds. So over the course of five years, that could be 20 pounds in difference of body weight between the two groups. That's very significant. The question is, is why? Because keep in mind that every other variable was kept the same. Well, that's the power of time-restricted eating. A lot of you may say like, oh, who the hell is you? You're just a, just a lawyer trained to ask questions. Well, yeah, I'm going to be reviewing a book. I'm going to hope you get them on my podcast, Dr. Mark Madsen of John Hopkins University who recently published a book, March of 2022, on the power of intermittent fasting. He's, he's freaking smart too. He did a lot of peer-reviewed studies. And so there are a significant amount of scientific support for the question of time-restricted eating. So this gets into the reporting on this. And I briefly mentioned this in my other podcast, but the New York Times botches this article. And as an institution, I don't know whether their ad revenue is down or whatever, but the New York Times botched reporting on this because they misreported what essentially statistical significance is and is not the controversies uh, associated with statistical significance and more and, and, and within the statistical community. And we'll get into the article on that and the reporting on this. So the um, article basically says, it, it says that it's, it's says, and this is the title of the article. It's called Scientists Find No Benefit Time-Restricted Eating, Gina Colata. That quotes Dr. Ethan Weiss. Now, many of you are probably like, oh my God, didn't you just do a uh, podcast on this? Aren't you just replicating that, the podcast that you just did? No, because we're going to do a deeper dive into the question of statistical significance. And that's why, and that's where essentially this article really gets it wrong, Okay. So uh, Gina Kalata on New York Times, I don't know if she's a science reporter, she's probably the nutrition reporter, she needs to bone up on statistical significance. So basically the way that this article reads is, is that there's no benefit to eating in a narrow window. So essentially, and that's what Dr. Ethan Weiss is quoted as saying, there's no benefit and that essentially this study proves it to be true, which is the null hypothesis, which is, 
The null hypothesis in scientific studies is, is that you start with an experiment and you say, if A causes B, you, you wanna prove whether A causes B, but your first question is, let's focus on the null hypothesis, which is there is no difference. We assume that A does not cause B, right? That's the key way that a null hypothesis is done. A does not cause B, that's our finding. That's our statement that we assert to be true. And then you do essentially a study and then you have something called statistical significance and you have a p-value, which is generally identified as under 0.05. And if your p-value is under 0.05, that result is considered statistical, statistically significant. Statistical significance. And this is a huge topic you have to go to, you know, take a course in statistics to understand it. But what I want to emphasize here before we sort of the 30,000 foot view, and then you can dive deep into this, this individual um, topic on your own, do your own research on this, is that statistical significance is a threshold by which the scientific community makes an assessment as to whether the finding is important or not. Okay, and there's a lot of misreporting on this, but what I want to emphasize to you is, is that there is a ton of controversy right now in, this, in, this, in the statistical community relating to statistical significance. And here we're going to get into an article um, in 2019 on nature. It's not an article, it's essentially a letter to the editor saying that we should abolish the concept of statistical significance by essentially three leading researchers in various fields that use statistics within their field. Now, the key thing here, this is kind of a rabbit hole of p-value and, and, and that's related to statistical significance. Now, notice what they're not doing is they're not saying that we should abolish p-values, right? What they're saying is, is the whole concept of statistical significance that is a result that matters, um, should, should be abolished. We should not have this dichotomous, it's important or not. Well, why? And I think they, they, they talk about this. Well, first of all, let me establish the credentials of these writers, because you could be like, oh my God, why should we even listen to this guy? He's not a statistician. You know, he went to Luther College, like, oh my God, Iowa law grad, he didn't go to the Ivy League. How can I even trust him? He's just relying on anecdotes. Well, look at these guys. These are the guys that said that we should get rid of the concept of statistical significance. Valentin Ammerhein, Sander Greenland, and Blake McShane. Sander Greenland is a professor of epidemiology at the University of California at Los Angeles, that's UCLA. Valentin Ammerhein, professor of zoology at the University of Basel, Switzerland. It's a good life there. And Blake McShane, a statistical methodologist and professor of marketing at Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois. I like McShane. Sounds like a soap opera star. These people are obviously really smart. And I, and I bring this up just to highlight that this is a live issue. But, but, but most important, essentially, it was designed for a scientific audience that maybe are not experts in, in statistics, but to give the essentially background about what statistical significance is or is not and what the problem is. And here basically, I wanna emphasize a couple of key points as it relates to Dr. Ethan Weiss. Now, if you read this New York Times article, you would very clearly think that based upon this study, 
and this finding of a non-statistically significant result, which is what happened in this New England Journal of Articles study, that we can confidently say that time-restricted eating does not cause weight loss up and above or beyond non-time-restricted eating where the calorie amount is the same. You'd think we could confidently say that. And that's essentially what the New York Times article conveys and what Dr. Weiss clearly indicates, that there's no benefit, right? Well, these statisticians say that that is not the case. And I think that's what I found very frustrating is that one, when they said that there was no difference, but they were in this New York, New England Journal of Article, um, on time-restricted eating, what they were saying is there was no statistically significant difference, right? And this is where um, they, they start off with essentially frustration of theirs in, in essentially the assessment of time-restricted eating, of statistics, of statistical significance. The authors of this letter to the editor start with a common thing that we see in this New England Journal of Ar Medicine article, which is, when was the last, and here's how they start the letter. They say, when was the last time you heard a seminar speaker claim there was no difference between two groups because the difference was statistically non-significant? Then, then they say, if your experience matches ours, there's a good chance that this has happened in the last talk you attended. We hope that at least someone in the audience was perplexed. If as frequently happens, a plot or showed, a table showed that there actually was a difference. And they ask a basic question, how is it do statistics so often lead scientists to deny differences that those educated in statistics, uneducated in statistics can plainly see? So this gets into what we see in this article um, on time-restricted eating, where there was a difference between the two groups to the tune of four pounds of body weight and to the tune of one point or nearly three pounds of fat over the course of a year. I don't know what these participants were doing, but I'll just say anecdotally, it totally does not match my experience. And for those of you who are saying like, oh my God, this guy, he's just N of one. He's just relying on his anecdote to try to override all this other stuff. This is, we'll talk about this in greater detail later, but uh, this is a major problem with this particular study. And everyone I've talked to, has obtained way better results than this particular group. But in any case, it did show a difference between the two groups, but it was considered, quote unquote, non-statistically significant. So one of the things the authors do say, and this is absolutely unimpeachable, which is, is that researchers have been warned that a statistically non-significant result does not prove the null hypothesis. That is that there is no difference between the two phenomena that are trying to be studied. Normally you're looking at two variables. So in this particular case, there's a time-restricted eating group and the non-time-restricted eating group. The fact that the time-restricted eating group, um, there was no statistically different difference between that group and the non-TRE group, or non-restricted eating group allows us, does not make, does not allow us to essentially um, establish that, uh, that, there, that the null hypothesis is true. Now that's confusing, okay? So this is like, 
This is like being a lawyer, like, oh my God, can I restate the question? But what it says is, is that they have been warned that statistically non-significant result does not prove the null hypothesis, okay? That there's no difference between the two groups or no effect of a treatment on some measured outcome, okay? So that's kind of confusing. And a lot of you are like, oh my God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push click this guy. Um, but what it's saying is, is that it doesn't necessarily prove that time restricted eating in this particular case is not more effective than non-time restricted eating. I hope that makes sense. But the, the, the key point here is that, is that this is a major problem within statistics. Now, what the authors of this particular letter are doing is, is they're not calling to ban the concept of a p-value, which is a very esoteric area of, of statistics. What they're really getting at is the question of this dichotomy one result that matters and the other one doesn't based upon it being statistically significant. Because none of the reporting, including the New York Times reported that indeed there was a difference in weight between the fasting group, let's just call them the fasting group, that's easier, the fasting group and the non-fasting group to the tune of four pounds and one point and three pounds of fat over the course of 12 months. There was a difference, but it was not statistically significant and none of that was reported. And that also gets into the question of uh, the, the larger critique is that they talk about the number of times they had multiple journals that they had studied that at least 51% of journal articles had, had misreported what an actual statistically significant group, um, what, what that actually means. Um, and here for statisticians, they're kind of they're a little grumpy even. They basically say, sick and tired, frankly. You know, when someone says, to be quite frank, they're about ready to get really pissed at you. They said, quote, we're frankly sick of seeing such nonsense, nonsensical proofs of the null and claims of non-association and presentations, research articles, review and instruction materials. An interval that contains the null value will also contain non-values of high practical importance. So here they're basically saying that this is misreported all of the time. Now, there was also an article on Vox, um, which is, which, and there were 800 scientists that joined this letter to the uh, Nature, which is one of the best gem journals in the world. Um, now here, basically, this is a Vox article by Brian Resnick. I think he's the science reporter for Vox. He seems quite schooled in statistics. He says, when, when researchers calculate a p-value, they're putting the test what is known as the null hypothesis. First thing to know, this is not a test of the question the experimenter most desperately wants to answer. So in this particular case is whether fasting is more important or more effective a weight loss than time-restricted eating and then caloric restriction standing alone. Um, so that's really key is that it doesn't answer that question. If they had gotten a statistically significant outcome here, but that would have allowed them to say is that the null hypothesis is not true, right? To a statistically significant level, right? So, so that's, and there's a certain confidence there. But so here is really important that we understand this and we get this right. In the study, to get to that statistically significant threshold in the fasting study, they would have had to reach a threshold pursuant to their own analysis of 2.5 kilograms of body weight 
or a p-value of under 0 0.05. <clears throat> so now, now just think about how random, and this is what the authors are getting at. They don't want this dichotomous, you know, statistically significant or not. They still want to report the p-value, but they don't want to get into this. This is significant and this is not because it's too it's ultimately a value-laden decision. So for example, suppose the study had found a 2.4 kilo um, finding or a 2.6. Suppose they had found just above the threshold of what was statistically significant or just below. Are we just not to, what, what's the difference between 2.6 and 2.7 in terms of weight loss between the two groups? It's totally arbitrary. It's a value, and, and why? Because researchers have to be able to get funding. They have to show what matters and what doesn't. And here the, the authors also talk about a famous study relating to atrial fibrillation on um, an anti-inflammatory drug. And here they basically talk about how this was actually misused. In this particular study, they talk about uh, an example in which this was a significant problem for atrial fibrillation. They say there's a study in which they looked at the unintended effects of anti-inflammatory drugs. And because the results were statistically non-significant, one set of researchers concluded that the drugs were not associated with new onset atrial fibrillation, the most common disturbance. And the results stood in contrast from an earlier study that was statistically significant outcome. And so the authors get into the what, what happened there, but they were essentially just the ways in which they use statistics based upon the parameters that the researchers had chosen. So this is getting really dull. And a lot of you are like, oh my God, this may be one of the worst podcasts ever. I don't know what to think. Yeah, this one, this one did kind of suck, but I'm going to publish it because ultimately what this comes down to is that Intermittent fasting, my results, I lost 70 pounds. Other people have lost a tremendous amount of weight with intermittent fasting, above and beyond caloric restriction. This study, you've got to look at the question of statistical significance, what it does show and what it does not show. And the key finding here is that statistical significance does not establish that the fasting protocol did not work, that there was no difference between the two. That does not establish that. And to be very precise, the authors, and there's another article in the box on this, what it does show is that when you have a result that is um, statistically significant, that does allow you to reject your null hypothesis. So the null hypothesis in this case is that there's no difference between time-restricted eating and caloric restriction. A statistically significant result in this study would have allowed us to reject that, but that would have been indirect evidence to reject that. But what it means precisely is, is that it means that there's a less than 5% chance of receiving these results or more extreme results in the world where the null hypothesis is true, okay? And so it's kind of a little bit of a rabbit hole here, but this is something that you should take into consideration when you're doing this study. 
The other thing I think with studies in general is not that we shouldn't do them. They're obviously very important. And I suppose if this had shown like really good outcome for time restricting, I'd be trumpeting it a little bit more. But this study was over the course of a year. Super expensive to do. They had over 100 people. They had health coaches. They had journals. They were taking photos. Incredibly labor intensive. So to replicate this study, we'll have to take another year. And hopefully they do as a good a job. But if the study finds the same result, okay, that gives you some more confidence, but it may take years before another, another study comes along or the funding is authorized. So the reality is, is that we don't have time as people that are fat to decide what, what study we're going to do. Ethan Weiss, his study, which he tried to do that said it was an earlier study showing similar results in the efficacy of time-restricted eating, only looked at 90 days. I'll just tell you from a practical perspective, 90 days, that is just when you start seeing the results. So I don't know what the hell these, these people are talking about, but it, it is not effective. Um, and, I, and I think they're really doing the public a disservice in a couple different ways. I mean, one, they're not really explaining and qualifying that, that the reason why they found no difference is not that they didn't find any difference, they found no statistically significant difference, number one. And number two, they're not reporting the level of controversy associated with statistical significance. Now, again, this is not a rejection of a p-value, but of the term significant. What makes something valid and what makes it not valid, right? In terms of whether we can rely on it to establish whether something is true or false, or more accurately, whether our assertion is proven to be false. This is a really confusing one. I don't know how accurately I'm conveying this, but I think this is something that does need further exploration on. Um, you do need to look at this. Look at the Nature article on this, because I think this is going to be very important for your understanding of this. Scientific topics are super complicated, and they're super complicated to explain well. Um, you may be more confused than you were at the start of this particular podcast, but I'm going to leave it up because that is your take home is that there are flaws with the study. Um, there are flaws in not more than the study. I, I, I think there are some flaws with the study, but I think there are especially flaws in the ways in which the study has been reported. And here I think the New York Times gets an F because they're not conveying to the lay audience what statistical significance is and is not. Number two, they're not conveying the, the controversy surrounding that. Because my fear is, is a lot of you are going to listen to this, um, read this article, or maybe hear about it in a paper or browse through your New York Times and say, I'm not going to try intermittent fasting because it doesn't work. I'm here to tell you it does work. And you're just basically going to have to trust me. It does work. And um, it's totally changed my life. It's totally changed tens of thousands of other people's life. In that sense, I think it, it still kind of stands in the outstream of the mainstream thinking. It, it's not considered mainstream, but it has been an incredibly powerful way for people to lose weight and to lose weight easily and to get healthy and to get fit. So there it is. There are problems with this New England Journal of Medicine article. And there's also problems with the New York Times. Yeah, New York Times, 
you know, I think maybe my daily Iowan University of Iowa student newspaper could have done a better job. You, you, guys, you guys did not do a good job. And in the process, I think you did a great disservice um, to all the particular people that could benefit from intermittent fasting. So for the most part, friends, that concludes this episode of the Rocking Cast. I'm not going to get, you know, I'm not going to be like Thomas Lauer and saying like, well, this study says this and this study says that. For the most part, I think I'm going to share stories. I'm, I'm going to try to keep everyone up to date on the latest literature on intermittent fasting, what it says, what it does. But I'm basically going to just try stories, tips, hacks, um, different little things that I've learned, things that I've sort of shared um, with my own experience. And hopefully you find that useful. Although this is sort of evolving into a fasting podcast, I'm still going to do other topics from time to time. But I think this is really, I think, one of my passions and I really want to share with you how powerful it is and also other people's short stories. One key finding, though, of this particular study is that they certainly didn't find it was any more dangerous than just caloric restriction. Right? That seemed to be very clear um, between the two groups. So should you fast? Absolutely. It's more powerful than just sort of a cognitive hat. We'll do that, too, in terms of um, even within the conventional wisdom, why it works so well. And why I'm frankly shocked that these participants only lost 17 pounds over the course of a year. That, that sucks. I lost like, that's like 60 pounds in a year. It was healthy weight too, and I still lost that. So I don't know what the hell they were doing, but I, I, think, I, I, think, I don't think they really knew what they were doing. Maybe they didn't do it right. But in any event, friends, infinite gratitude. If you've been here this long, this is kind of a tough one to do. Uh, very complicated topic. Hopefully I conveyed some aspect of that to you. Um, but do continue to tune into episodes of the Rocky Cast. Check me out. Uh, hit the subscribe button. Um, check it out and give me positive reviews on Apple, Spotify, all places where podcasts are heard. Subscribe, share. If you don't like it, great. If you do like it, let me know. Rockycast at gmail.com. I'm going to continue to do a lot of episodes on intermittent fasting. And um, I hope you continue to stand to stay tuned to various episodes of the Rocky Cast. Thank you so much. Infinite gratitude to you. Until next time on the Rocky Cast. <laughs>